I um, often complain that I get no help. Um, I'm not going to today. I had multiple people just say, do you need a hand? Um, I said yes, and they kept walking. Um, so I suppose that's an improvement. Uh, good morning, church. Um, awesome to be here with you all today. Uh, we've had a great worship already. I want to just thank, uh, let's all thank um, everything that's gone on with our worship band, um, Tyler and, and your drama. Um, loved the diversity of our program today, and I know that's a bit of a buzzword, but it is just so awesome um, with everything that's been brought already today. So we are continuing this uh, series, Walking in the Way, and Lockie opened it up for us last week, and rather than move it along, um, I'm actually, we're just going to pause there and we're going to go a little bit um, deeper today in terms of where he left off because he laid a great foundation in terms of what truth is, where the Bible is placed within that, and that in the end, that truth is actually also a person, in the person of Jesus Christ. Um, but I am going to, so we're going to continue along that today. Now, I'm a naturally skeptical person, so, um, and I think a lot of people are today. So when I hear people talking about the tr about truth, um, I often just internally roll my eyes. Um, and you will, I think a lot of people do this, and, and I know that because you hear these phrases today um, that you probably didn't hear a little while ago. Things like, well, that may be true for you, but I think it's garbage. Um, um, but we preface sentences with that and say, okay, well, that may be true for you. Or we will hear people say, I just need to speak my truth. Um, and I don't say that in a mocking way. It's just a common phrase. And it, and it gets used that I just need to speak my truth because it just exemplifies the fact that there is a whole lot of different truths out there. And that person needs to speak their one which might be different to their one, which might be the opposite to someone else's. It also reminded me, and I will admit this is a tangent, uh, and there will be an age demographic that needs to help me out here, of a great line in a movie um, when someone says, I want the truth! And the other actor says, You can't handle the truth! That's my Jack Nicholson right there. Um, great movie, if you haven't watched it. Go back and watch it. Um, so sometimes, you know, we, we, we say that as well. It's just, you know, I, I, what I'd really like to say is, is this, but I just don't think they could handle it. They couldn't handle the truth. I see it in the workplace. Uh, we may have someone in the workplace who says, look, I feel like I, I'm being bullied or I'm being targeted by another person. Um, you talk to the other person, I'm saying, well... I'm not targeting them, but their behaviour is completely inappropriate on a regular basis, so I need to talk to them about that. And, and you just go, well, well, who's, who's true here? They feel like they're being targeted. They feel like they need to address certain behaviours that are happening regularly that are, that are not good. Who's telling the truth? They both believe they are. And so we have this phrase that truth is in the eye of the beholder. Because we all come to truth with a lens of how we see it, of what is true for us, that I need to speak my truth because there is just so much out there. So when someone comes along and says, I am the way, the truth and the life, 
or when someone says that the, the Bible is God's truth, an ultimate source of truth, it is completely understandable that a lot of people today are very skeptical of that because that's just your truth. It doesn't need to be mine. It's all relative. So we come with it at a particular lens of how we look at it. Are you with me, church? Okay, thank you, thank you. Okay, all right, let's keep powering on then. So let me give you, um, I suppose, a sense of how that can happen because we all come to it with different experiences, with a different upbringing, with a different education. We were brought up in a different place. Um, That gives us potentially different political views. And so we come with a lens of looking at things made up of all of that history and experience that we've had. The beauty of the Bible is, no matter who you are or where you are from, it provides not a different lens, a new lens entirely of looking at the world and our part in it. So whether you are from a completely different culture to me, The Bible is this source that provides a new lens for both you and me to be able to look at the world in in the same way, from a different experience, but within the same framework. And that's what I want to look at today. It came to me when I thought I knew knew my Bible pretty well, um, and then I went... Uh, And when I did some further study, I walked away realising how little I knew and that I, I actually just didn't even get it, let alone fully understand it. So I want to take you through some of that today, some of my journey um, through that. I did not know that turtle walked. Um, I mean, I did. Um, That was just an added effect there. Walking in the truth. He's just walking his truth right there. So, let's have a look. How not to read the Bible. So before we look at it, maybe a lens of how it would be good to use the Bible as, as, our, as our framework of truth for our lives and what it means for us, um, a couple of ways uh, that I've used to fall into very, very regularly about how not to read the Bible. So first one is, we only read the Bible to verify what we already think. Um, that is classic. Um, I still do it. Um, if I know I'm right. Um, That's funny if you think about it. Um, Because we already form opinions on something, and so when we go to the Bible, we just want to pick out the things that verify um, that I'm already right. And if someone, uh, if there's other ones that maybe contradict that, well, I'll just park that because I'm sure the context is different. Um, It doesn't really apply. Um, And all of those ones do. So we pick out and we cherry pick verses. And this is why within Christianity, we have so many different beliefs using the same book. A classic one will be um, when the Bible says, uh, you know, ask and you will receive, seek and you will knock. And people just say, name it and claim it, people. If you want a new house, just name it and it'll be yours. Give, give first though, give, give to us first and then maybe you might, you might get it. So it projects this prosperity gospel because we latch onto these verses uh, that say seemingly really simple, straightforward things and we use it to manipulate what God's word is saying. So we cherry pick verses to fit with what we want. Or we read things out of context. 
Uh, so easy to do. I'm not going to spend too much time on that because there's about a million examples. But that prosperity gospel is one that is just, it, it, it happens over and over um, without looking at the wider story of the Bible. Uh, so that's the first one. Second one, we read the Bible as a modern textbook. Um, classic. And we sometimes we don't realize the way we think has actually just been formed by the times that we live in, by the education we've had. So the way we actually think has been formed. We don't realize that sometimes. Uh, and uh, for people who are my age, that would be a very modern way of thinking. Uh, and so we look at the Bible as a textbook. So for instance, when we read Genesis, we look at it and go, okay, so this is just like a science textbook here that Genesis is telling me. Unfortunately, the authors did not a great job. They missed out some detail that should have been in there. When God said in the beginning, he should have given us a date because that would have just put a line through all of these things about how old the earth is. Anyway, I'm sure God did that. They just neglected to put it down because they took it for granted. Where are the dinosaurs? They should have just closed that one off and then we could have just moved on with so many arguments. Where did they go? What was going on outside of Eden? Where's that chapter fit in to the Bible? That would have just solved a lot of things about what was going on. So we read Genesis as a textbook and we're disappointed because it doesn't give us all of the answers that we want to answer all of the questions when actually we just miss the point because it's not a science textbook at all. The story of Israel, sometimes we want to read as pure history. And a lot of them are called historical books. But we want to read it as pure history. And then some really smart people go, but hang on. Some of those dates and names don't always quite add up perfectly, do they? If you look at external sources. And I just feel like saying to them, yeah, but it's not, it's not pretending to be a history book. This is the history of God and his people that he is trying to form. They were not writing it as a history textbook. It's not the purpose. We get to the Gospels and we want them to be a pure biography. And sometimes we think, hang on a minute, some of those events possibly in a different order. That's a big mistake. If they wanted to get the Gospels right, they should have really talked to each other first and got their ducks in a row and then written their little manuscript. But it's not written that way at all. And so we want to read, particularly, like I said, people who, who grew up with that modern way of thinking, we want to read it as if it was a textbook. But it's just not that type of book. I'm sorry. And we end up missing the point. We get distracted by all of these other questions, and we just miss the larger point of what God is actually trying to tell us through his scriptures. Number three, we read the book as if it's independent of each other. So we go, it's 66 books. There's a ton of authors. There are just different genres. There's poetry. There's letters. There's prophecy. There's just stuff all over the place. There is no way that this could become a coherent story. It is just too fractured with too many authors written over like 1,500 years. And so we just read it as independent bits and pieces about God without realising the larger story. So what I want to look at today 
is a new lens of looking at it. I'm not going to pretend like this is the, the way to do it. What I will say very confidently is this helped me enormously when I pick up my Bible and still does. Enormously. Um, so we're going to look at that today. Okay, I don't know if you can see this clearly or if you've seen it before. It's one of these infographics. And it shows the interconnectedness of the Bible. So the little white lines represent, on the, on the bar graph there, represent all the chapters of the Bible. The lengths of each of those lines denotes the number of verses in those chapters. And each of the 63,779 cross-references found in the Bible are depicted by those arcs. And the colour corresponds to the distance between the two chapters. So you get to see this interconnectedness of this book that on the surface appears to be fractured and different and written over so long that how could it possibly be all connected into one story? And yet this is a great diagram that shows the interconnectedness of the story. Um, so if you want to go away after this and have a look, uh, these are just two that I found really useful uh, and still do pick up from, from time to time. The one I'm focusing on today is on your right, the drama of scripture. Um, and, and that's the one I'm going to take you through some of the stuff of that today. Another one that was really good, that was uh, a little bit shorter, uh, but really gets to the point really quickly is God's big picture. Um, if, you, if you wanted to look at some of these other things today. Another illustration, and then we'll, we'll start taking a look at some detail that hopefully really resonates and makes sense for you. So I want you to imagine, everyone, that you are at a bus stop. It's been a while. And the person next to you says, those tigers will tear you apart if you let them. So this could be understood in a number of ways. Um, maybe he thought I was the person he, was, he saw yesterday and we'd been talking about the Richmond Tigers. And, and he was just following on that conversation and just was remarking that because the Richmond Tigers are so good, he's like, those Tigers will tear you apart if you let them. Now, we know that wouldn't be true because <laughs> they're not even in the finals, are they, Greg? <laughs> and I always just make sure I make a point of reminding him of that. And this is your one today. So maybe that is what's going on in the story. Maybe, maybe he thought we had started having a conversation yesterday about the Richmond Tigers and he just loves them, he's passionate, he goes, oh, they'll tear you apart if you let them. They're that good. Maybe he had been to Dreamworld, to Tiger Island, and he was worried that he'd seen some kids maybe just kind of dangling over there and he was just muttering to himself, those, oh, those, those tigers will rip you apart if you let them, kids. It's just... Got to be careful. Um, I didn't expect that random comment. Um, um, but thank you. Thank you. Maybe, maybe he had just been noticing just in the distance some really naughty, aggressive kids getting in other people's faces. And that's how he referenced little kids, like little tigers. You've got to be careful of those little tigers. I'll rip you apart, little rat bags. Maybe that was what he was trying to talk about. Or finally, maybe 
this is getting far-fetched now, I will admit. Maybe he was a Russian spy, and he was meeting someone at the bus stop. And that was like their little code sentence to know that they were both spies. And he says, under his breath, those tigers will tear you apart if you let them. And he was waiting for to get the little code back. Maybe that is what is going on. The point of the illustration is this. You only know the meaning of that sentence if you know the wider story of what's going on. And so the point that I'm trying to make today is we only know how to live in God's story if we know the wider picture from which it is come today. Because it is all connected. Uh, so this is a little um, slide that I pinched um, that explains what I'm talking about. It. So what this book does is it, it breaks up the Bible into six different acts as if it was, and I knew you were plugging your drama club today, the drama of scripture, um, into six different acts. And I'm not going to go into detail in all of them. We're just going to whiz through and then we're going to hone in on, so where are we in all of this? So if we are going to walk in the truth... We need to understand what truth we are a part of and acknowledge that we are a part of it. So act number one um, is, we'll work through them, is that God establishes his kingdom. Okay, God creates Eden, he establishes his kingdom there and he gives people, he gives humanity their purpose. He says they're created in the image of God, the only creation created in God's image and he says and you have a job to do and your job is to be fruitful and multiply and your job is to tend and care for this earth and I'm giving you authority over it did God need to give authority to us over his creation absolutely not um, he does not need us but he does need us because he chose to he chose to partner with us. That is a choice that he made. And once he had decided that, he can't just pretend it never happened. So he establishes his kingdom in creation. Act number two is uh, the rebellion in the kingdom. So we decide that actually we may know a better way. There might actually be a better way. And maybe we could be the kings of our own kingdom. Thank you. Thanks for creating me. We'll take it from here. And where did that get us? Act three. The king chooses Israel. So it didn't get us far because we just started the problem after problem after problem. And so God says, right, I am going to choose a nation and they now are going to take this forward and be a blessing to the other nations. And that covenant was given to Abraham. So the king chooses Israel, not because it was special. In fact, chosen because they were nothing special. And he says, right, through you, Israel, we are going to redeem this planet together because I have chosen to partner with you. Uh, so what happens um, then? How does that go? Not great. He chooses to partner with Israel. Israel thinks they're now special and just thinks that they can do whatever they want. And then they want to be, again, they want their own king. And then how good does that go? They had one that was pretty good, 
uh, one that was okay and the rest that were very, very average, really. Maybe one more. Sorry, I forgot about, forgot about one. But do they bless the nations around them? No, they just become like them. So God is trying to establish his kingdom and it's just not going well. And we come to the turning point in history where God says, I have chosen to partner with you to rule and to have authority over the earth. You cannot do it. And I am going to come down and I will do it for you as part of humanity. So I can't change the promise that we've made. We are in this together. So I'm going to come down and I'm going to become part of creation and I'm going to do it for you because we've done this little dance for a couple of thousand years and we still haven't made any progress. And I'm going to do it for you because you cannot. So he comes, the coming of the king, where redemption is accomplished. And so when we understand the grand narrative of the Bible, we actually then realize that the Bible is more about not just my personal salvation. It is about redeeming all of creation, which we are a part of, but not forgetting that we have a part to play with God. Act number five, spreading the news of the king, the mission of the church. So this makes a little bit more sense then when, when, when Jesus says, I'm going to give you a gift and it's going to be greater than what you've actually had in me here. Because now when I'm trying to establish my kingdom, I'm not talking about a little piece of land that I'm going to give you. And I'm not talking about one people group to then bless others. I am talking about the earth as my kingdom. There are no geographical boundaries anymore and you are going to go to all the earth and there is not going to be one ethnic people group to take that blessing. It is going to be whoever claims this man Jesus to be king. Whoever you are, you are part of his kingdom and you are to take it to all the earth the mission of the church, and then act number six, the return of the king. When everything is accomplished, we come full circle with the new earth, the new creation, back to how it had originally intended. Pretty cool, hey? Underwhelming, uh, I will admit. Uh, thank you. <laughs> thank you, Tyler. Um, I, I encourage you also, I would like to say, so thank you for returning the favour. Um, that changed the way I read the Bible forevermore. And, I, and, I, and I'll tell you why. Because it then brings meaning to what I need to do today. What I need to do now. With all of that interconnectedness. So I'll give you just a few really quick examples in terms of how it's changed me reading my Bible. So when Jesus goes into the wilderness and he's tempted, you know that story? Okay, the spirit actually led him there into the wilderness. And he passes the tests. You know, if you were a reader, then you would know that these are echoes of Israel in the wilderness for 40 years, exemplified by Jesus's 40 days. And you would know that Israel's failure in the wilderness is now triumphed with Jesus's triumph 
in his wilderness. Where we failed, he triumphs on our behalf. And the readers would have understood that. And we only get that when we see the overarching arc of Scripture. The 12 disciples. Um, There are so many. A lot of the prophets talked about the restoration of Israel of the 12 tribes, it had become fractured. But we also know 10 of them basically got wiped out. So how is this restoration of Israel going to happen? And then Jesus comes along as king and gathers 12 disciples and sends them out to fulfill the original blessing given to Abraham. You would only understand that connection if you knew the background story of what Israel's original purpose and vocation was, which was you will be blessed to bless others. And Jesus renews that through his 12. Could go on and on, but I won't. But it helps us understand why God did the things he did. When you look at the um, Bible as a, a drama or as a story, It also then makes sense of, well, why did God act the way he did in certain parts? And a really common criticism is, oh, gosh, the God of the Old Testament, he's just so angry, wasn't he? He's just angry man. He's just so loving and nice and cuddly in the New Testament. Uh, Now, that's not necessarily factually correct. But there was something else going on back then, wasn't there? Because if we look at what God was trying to do, he was forming a nation effectively out of nothing. People had been in slavery for 400 years, and that is all they had known for generations. And he goes, how on earth am I going to form a people group out of this? They were like little kids. So he needed to provide structure, guidance, tight structure to know you are set apart. So all of those weird laws were just about establishing an identity that I am setting you apart. God doesn't act that way now because he doesn't need to. We're in a different part of the story. It would be like me parenting with Jasper. Jasper will probably go one day and just say, Dad, you were so much angrier when I was little. And I will just say, I just need to establish boundaries with you. I'm not an angrier person. I just had a different role to play in the story of our family. I hope I'm not sending you to the naughty corner when you're 35. I really, really hope that's the case. You know? Am I a different person than I will? I'll be the same person, the same love. But my role is different. And so when we understand the Bible as an overarching story, we understand that God's no different. He just had a different role to play in establishing a community that was going to fulfill his purpose. And we are the beneficiaries and the lucky ones having come after Jesus to know he changed everything. He showed the way clearly. He got us back on track and provides a way forward. So it helps us read the Bible in a new way. And it, it gives us a new lens for our life. There is a quote on the screen that is, oh yeah, it is clear. And it says, I can only answer the question, what am I to do, if I can answer the prior question of what story do I find myself a part of? N.T. Wright gives the example of, imagine if you are the Gold Coast uh, Central Drama Group and you have been given a play 
that has six acts and you are given the first four acts of the story and a, and a snippet of the fifth, but the, the, the rest of the fifth act is missing. And then you've got the end, the sixth one. And his point is, if you know the overarching story of where we've come from, and if you know the end of the story of where he is going, if you are then asked to improvise the rest of the fifth act, which we find ourselves in, you can actually navigate that through that now because you know where you are in God's story. You know the purposes he is trying to achieve. And that is where we find ourselves. Act five. Knowing that act six is coming one day. And so the answer is, so what do we do? How do we walk in the truth? I don't know if you've noticed, there's a lot of denominations of Christianity. We're all walking in, we're all walking in the truth. And we can get caught up in sometimes just the wrong questions. And the real question is, where do I find my purpose? What it is that God wants me to do? And the answer is, what part of the story do we find ourselves in? And what is God trying to achieve? You know, when I was growing up, I can say that, pretty old. In my day, there was this real trend. Put your hand up if you had one. Uh, there was the little wristbands, WWJD. There was a song that went with it. It was pretty cool. I was on WOW 1997, I think. Uh, what, what did that stand for? WWJD? What would Jesus do? It was a catch cry. It was so cool. And so the, the point of it was, right, the point of it was if you found yourself in a situation and you needed to navigate through it, you would say, what would Jesus do? The problem is, right, with that, what is the problem? Can you answer me? What's the problem? I'm not Jesus. I'm not Jesus. I do not have his amazing gift of discernment. Some of you may. And so now I find myself going, I don't find that as helpful anymore because I'm not Jesus. But what lies underneath that is something um, I think that's even, even better. Because the actual question that I find better is what would Jesus have me do? Because I do have my own history of my family and my upbringing, and my education, my culture, very different to Jesus's. And so the question I ask myself is, knowing where I am in the story, what would Jesus have me do? I don't know if Jesus would be a chief officer of corporate services at Tursa, which is my job. I actually don't think he would be. But what would Jesus have me do? And that's where I am. That's where I think he wants me. So how does this help in walking in the truth? If we know God's purposes, if we know what God wants and asks of us, that then allows to live our life wherever we are. Because actually, 
where we work and all the things we pray about and this job or that job or should I marry this person or that person and should I live here or live there, uh, they are big important questions. It's just that there are bigger ones because no matter where you are, Jesus has a calling for you in your life. So here's a couple of framing questions in terms of how you can walk in truth, knowing where we are in God's story, knowing the mission that he has given us, his people, to take to the world. So we can ask ourselves these questions. How are we, how am I establishing a kingdom of selflessness in a culture of selfishness? Because that's what Jesus asks of us. How are we establishing a kingdom of justice in our lives, in a culture where injustice seems to reign oh so often? How are we establishing a kingdom of peace in a culture that just seems to want to promote war and division? How are we establishing a kingdom of unconditional love in a culture where everything is conditional on what I get in return? How are we establishing a kingdom of joy in a culture that seems to severely lack it? Or how are we establishing a kingdom of hope in a culture where more and more seem disillusioned and cynical? So it becomes less about what I do and where I am in about who am I, who is my allegiance to in God's kingdom and how does he want his people to live? And if we live this way, what will be the impact? People will take notice. People will take notice. So I want to encourage everyone here today that it's not a matter of whether you are part of some story. It's a matter of which story you are and want to be a part of. Because it will shape you. And so what God has in his Bible, what he has given in his word and his revelation through his word and through the person of Jesus Christ is a revelation that says we have been on a journey and now you have a part to play and we are heading somewhere. And I need you to partner with me. And I want you to partner with me. The Bible offers a story to shape our lives. And it is my prayer that we enter into that today as we walk in truth.